everyone and welcome to the first episode of PhD Unplugged. My name is Lara and I'm here today with my sister and co-host Luisa. Hi there. Today we are going to talk about something we can all relate to, feeling insecure. We are excited to be joined by our two wonderful guests, Daphne van der Kreisen, who is a PhD student at Tilburg University in the Netherlands. Welcome Daphne. Hello. <laughs> and Jenny Rogers, one of the UK's most experienced coaches. Thank you both for joining this conversation today. Jenny, with more than 30 years of coaching experience, you're one of the leading business coaches in the UK. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and your work as a coach? Okay, yes, thank you. Thank you for asking me today. Um, I, I work typically with people who are at uh, crossroads in their lives and careers. So probably a good example would be people who have come to the end of their love affair with a job and they feel it's probably time to move on, but they don't know quite how to move or where to go. Uh, sometimes work with people who have been made redundant or who've been fired and asking themselves the same questions. Um, so really my work is about transitions. It's about people who have to make changes. And what I find is the bigger the change, the more likely we are to resist it, even though We probably do know in our hearts what it is we should do, but it's often very difficult to bring ourselves to the point where we do actually do what we know we should do. So my, my work as a coach really is about working with people to unblock whatever's blocking what they really want. So it's, it's not really about me passing on my supposed great wisdom to people. It's about drawing out the answers they know that they need to have. So that's the the art of it, really, is 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 asking. Uh, you you'll be able to judge whether I do this today. Um, is about being able to ask the right question, not about having a clever uh, answer, because the chances are the client will already have thought of anything I could suggest. So we'll see whether this this proves to be the case with Daphne. Thank you so much for uh, uh, introducing yourself. Um, uh, Daphne, you are um, a PhD student in the field of human resource studies. Can you tell us a bit about yourself as well and also uh, about your research? Yes, of course. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. So uh, I'm Daphne, 30 years old, and I'm in my last year of my PhD. And my research is about work and the effect of workload on uh, energy and recovery. And I kind of study whether uh, if you do what you like, so what you find interesting, and if you use your strengths during your workday, whether you have more energy during the day, but also at the end of the day. So I use kind of the positive psychology to use as a mechanism, so to say, to, uh, to deal with levels of workload. One could say that you research how people can manage their work successfully. Um, well, this is also something many people, yeah, Jenny just explained to us, uh, ask support from a coach to, uh, for. They uh, are at a crossroads in their lives, maybe in their work, and they don't know how to go from there. So that's something that maybe has also a place in your research. Do you, uh, do you ever feel insecure? Uh, yes, to be honest, yes. Very often. <laughs> and so you say yes, but... Uh, can you elaborate a little bit so uh, we can feel insecure about all kinds of aspects in our lives uh, for all kinds of reasons? What would you say are the top three insecurities for you? 
Um, let me think. Yeah, I would say that I feel insecure of being good enough. So uh, am I the right person to do this? You should be smart as a PhD. So sometimes I have the feeling that my uh, um, supervisors will find out that I'm not that smart as they thought I would be. Yeah, another area that I feel insecure about is more that like that you have to ask questions or at least sometimes I want to ask questions. But then um, I have the feeling that I also have to find the answer myself. So it's kind of difficult. Like, am I going to ask for for um, help uh, and support or do I have to find the answer myself? And I'm also in my last year of my PhD. So uh, currently I also feel insecure about like, uh, the future so uh, my life after my phd okay well thank you for uh, your answer uh, and for uh, yeah sharing this uh, with us today i think what you're basically saying is something that a lot of phd students can relate to questions about your own competence am i good enough am i the right person for the job um, but also feelings about um, asking questions and asking for help um, you might feel as a phd student all the time that you already have to know something uh, which makes yeah asking for help very tricky. And then the last thing you mentioned is um, yeah feeling uh, feelings of insecurity about the future. Where do I want to be after my PhD? Um, is that in academia or somewhere else? That can be a very tough question to answer. Jenny, um, with all your experience, do you recognize what Daphne just described? Is this something uh, that you also uh, yeah hear from your other clients? These kind of topics. Well, I, I think we human beings are experts at role-playing, really. We're experts at playing parts that we feel a bit like actors who've only half learned the script. So I find with, I would say, something like 80% of my executive coaching clients, these are, these are people who are, by the world's standards, very, very successful people, will come along and say, you know, uh, I think I might be a bit of an imposter. And I'm always, this is a direct quote from a client very recently. This is somebody in a very senior global role, a vice president in a global communications company, saying, I think any minute now, somebody is going to come and tap me on the shoulder saying, you do know you are an imposter, don't you? <laughs> and um, I, and I couldn't help laughing because I said, well, yeah, okay, so how likely is that to happen? And he gave a little squirm of discomfort and said, mm, well, maybe not that likely, but, but maybe all my colleagues would say the same. And I think that's very true. So I don't think there's anything unusual about Daphne's feeling that uh, somehow she's, she's a bit of an imposter because I think we all feel that. And I wonder how the four of us here today are any of us feeling that we might be a bit of an imposter, possibly. Possibly. So um, I, I think we can banish any, any idea that, that this is at all unusual or, or strange or shaming. Um, and the more successful you are, the more likely you are to have that feeling. Just while we're talking about this I word imposter, let's be clear, real imposters are very different. These are people who actually set out to deceive. These are people like Bernie Madoff, who cheated people out of millions of pounds of dollars of their of their money. Uh, that guy who impersonated pilots and doctors. 
um, there are some very good examples of real imposters. So I think this word, we can use it quite casually. I think all it does really is say, look, in, in the work I'm doing, I'm at the leading edge of my competence and my feelings of confidence. So I am feeling a little bit insecure about that. And that is just, it's just about being alive, actually. Nothing unusual about it. Daphne, what I'd like to ask you, because we've, we've got the privilege of having this conversation today, what do you, do you want to get out of it? For myself, I hope that you can give me at least some directions or maybe ask critical questions, as you mentioned in the <laughs> beginning. <laughs> yeah, to, to move on, because I think at this stage, I'm in my last year and it's kind of unnecessary to feel insecure because, yeah, right, I'm doing a PhD, they selected me. But yeah, maybe a shift in my feelings or that at least I feel more confident and yeah, that I can deal with this mm. feeling of in being insecure. Does that answer your question? Hmm. Okay, yeah, it, well, it, it, it does. Um, I was very, very interested in when you were introducing yourself that you're working from a standpoint of positive psychology, a strengths-based approach. Now, one of the, one of the things I, I believe is true is that what we teach is what we most want to learn. So um, you were coming to our conversation today with a question about feeling unconfident, and yet you're a psychologist working on a strengths-based approach. So my first question to you is what when other people talk about you, when your friends and your family and your colleagues who like you and admire you are talking about you, what do they say your strengths are? Don't hold back. I think that, uh, and I can also ask Louisa, she is here, she is also uh, collaborating with me, but I think they would say that I'm really focused on having good relationships with others. So someone who builds very strong relationships, I think, uh, someone who likes to collaborate. And I think they will say that I'm a good listener and have the overview. So what I mean with that is that if in a team, I think I'm really a team player and I'm really, uh, I really have personal interest in other people. Well, those are just amazing things, aren't they? about being able to collaborate. These are all, um, I know we're going to talk later about what you do after your PhD, but what you've described actually are all the strengths that employers are looking for. They take your technical expertise for granted. Oh, maybe they shouldn't, but they, they do tend to. But what they're looking for is people who can collaborate with other people who can who are emotionally intelligent, who can build relationships, people who can uh, be a team player, who are focused on other people, not just on themselves. And you haven't said this, but it's implicit in everything that you've already said about yourself. You work to very high standards. You you ask a lot of yourself. So these are the all I promise you that these strengths have cash value out there in the world where the, that you're going to join in about a year from now. So let, well, let's hear Louisa knows your work. So what, what would you add to that, Louisa? Yeah, I think what hasn't been said yet is that I experienced Daphne also as a very hands-on person. So she takes action when other people 
um, don't dare to. So that's something that I really appreciate. Oh, thanks for all those <laughs> kind words. I get emotional. <laughs> yeah, well, it's very, it's very I, I, I agree. It's very nice to hear these things uh, said about you. Often we don't. And I, I mean, you know this from from your own work and, and the, the, the actual subject of your PhD, that the general the world in general con concentrates on our weaknesses and not on our, on our strengths. So I think that the answer really to all of your questions probably is how could you use these strengths in um, completing your PhD? I'll, I'll ask you first, Daphne, what else do you have and technically that's helpful for your PhD? I think I'm eager to learn. So if I want to learn, for instance, new uh, techniques for doing analysis, then yeah, I want to know it and I want to do it myself. So I think I'm open to learn. Um, yeah, phew. Okay. All right, Louisa, what would you add to that? I think I would add that Daphna also, she does actually know how to ask for help when when the time has come like like she said well I want to learn it myself uh, I want to understand stuff myself but also at some point you probably feel like oh yeah there are other people who have talents and strength uh, that are different from mine and probably I should mm. um, ask them for help um, so at least that's how I uh, experience you <laughs> okay well these these are powerful strengths aren't they these, these are all things that should really help you complete your PhD with a flourish, with, with, with style. So where, where's the block for you? I think I, if I have to be very specific, it's more that I feel that I'm not good enough. So, um, yeah, maybe also the appreciation that I'm looking for kind of that people speak out to me like, hey, Daphne, I appreciate you. So I think, yeah, how do, how do I frame it? Like, I'm really looking for someone's, um, yeah, that someone is accepting me and speak, speaks it out to me, that they appreciate who I am. I think that's more, yeah. Okay, so, well, let's assume for a minute that it's true that you're not good enough. Okay, let's, let's catastrophize a little bit. Um, what if it was true? Yeah, I think they will fire me. <laughs> they would. <laughs> so, and if it was true, what would you do? Find another job. <laughs> yeah, okay. Is that the worst that could happen? Yeah, I think the worst what can happen is that I don't finish my PhD and then... That it's difficult to, to finish my PhD at another university, maybe, so... Okay. Okay. How likely is it that you won't finish your PhD? Mm, maybe not that likely. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound very likely, given, given the kind of strengths that you've been described as having, and that you've... I didn't hear you disagree with any of those strengths. So what you've, what, what you've just heard is... Exactly what you just asked for, somebody else telling you, you do have these strengths based on observation. Yeah. So what, what evidence is there that you don't have them or that you're not good enough? 
I think like in academia, we are all focused on kind of publications and uh, publishing high rank journals. And that's, that, that of course also takes time. Um, but then now I'm in a stage of my PhD, uh, my final year kind of studies for all kind of reasons that I do every time. Um, but then, yeah, I don't have those kind of publications yet. So I think that's also an ob- yeah, I think like, oh, I'm behind or I'm not that good enough uh, if I look at the facts, so to say. So how many people do you know at the same stage of doing their PhD as you who have a massive publications? Maybe not a massive amount of people, but at least a lot of people have at least some publications. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, what do you need to do to get a publication? get something in print. Mm, I think it's important just to finish my studies and submit okay. them. <laughs> yeah, okay. So once you've finished, then it sounds as if your your subject is very interesting. It's very much of the moment, isn't it? It's with the pandemic and everything else that's happening about how people work and how people feel about work. It couldn't be more relevant, in fact. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, so the chances are you will get published. Would it be normal to publish with somebody else in your field? Yeah, I think it's quite normal. Mm. And do you have a collaborator? Yeah, recently. So I'm, yeah, I have now a co-author on one of my articles. Uh, so yes, um, I try to focus on that to find someone to collaborate with. And also because I'm more focused on relationships, I think I, or at least I hope that will also provide me with a high energy levels because I like collaborations. Mm, mm. Okay, that sounds like a really good idea. So so you're in your last year, you've got a collaborator, It's your topic is very interesting. It's kind of sexy at the moment. And the chances are it's going to be pretty easy to find journals who will want to take your articles. Is that right? Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Although I have no publications, I believe in the topic myself. But mm. then again, back to my problem, so to say, it's still that like I'm very enthusiastic about this topic, but at least I'm looking for, yeah, that also that also other people, yeah, tell me like it's mm. interesting and yeah. Well, it is interesting. It's it's of it's of great interest to me because this is something I work with all the time with the with with clients all the time. So any advice, any material, anything that can come from anywhere that would be helpful is really like gold dust. And uh, I think it's it's just a very important topic, and it's very likely you get you get more than one article, many, many articles, I'm sure, out of it. So um, how how are you feeling right now, this minute, about your confidence? Yeah, to be honest, quite good. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, quite good, quite good. Yeah. Okay, is that quite, as in, you know, in British English, we use quite to mean um, very. (laughs) In American English, they say quite when they mean not very. So when you say you feel quite good, you are feeling good. Yeah, I'm feeling good, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Well, I, I think what we should talk about is how you manage this little voice that tells you you might not be. 
Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's imagine this little voice was a person. Um, if it had a name, what would it be? Pooh. Let's call it Harry. <laughs> <laughs> How loud does it speak to you when it does speak? Go from one to to ten. I would say yeah. maybe an eight. Okay. All right. So, what, what, one thing that can really help is when you when you're aware that little voice is speaking to. Imagine it that you're turning its volume down. You know, if you're if you're using the down arrow on a an app on your phone or an actual you know old fashioned knob that you would turn to turn volume down, you turn it down. So is it talking to you now? No. No. Good. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. So I think this is about putting a little bit of separation between you and that that voice because it's it's not logical, is it? As we've established, it isn't logical. There isn't any evidence that you're not good enough. You are good enough. You've had a, a positive affirmation today and you're well on track to finish your PhD. You have qualities that are going to serve you very well when you, when you leave academia. So... Um, what I'd suggest is that you get a kind of awareness of where it might be intervene and think to yourself, oh, oh, turn the volume down on that little voice. What can work actually is, is actually distracting yourself. If you're aware of it, distract yourself by doing something different that needs a level of concentration. That could be something very silly, like, uh, like in the room I'm in, I could count the slats on my blind, for instance, or I could... Um, Go and look at look at the canal, which is just on the other side of my balcony here. Count, see how many boats I can I can count. Anything that distracts will change your physical state and your mental state. You must know this. This is this is your subject. Um, so the other thing that I, I, I think it's just worth checking is how far this gets in the way of your work schedule. I think now I'm okayish, but I think three months ago it was really. Like this voice was quite talk talkative to me. So mm. then I was at the stage that I I was working and doing my work, but then I did not really had the motivation and also not the concentration. So yeah, three months ago, it was really a struggle for me that I thought like, oh, I'm not productive and I can't do anything at this mm. stage. So... Mm. Hmm. Okay. Well, something just to look at here is that now I really uh, understand this. And what you're describing is procrastination, isn't it? That um, when we've got some massive project to do, it can feel absolutely overwhelming. And the more overwhelming it is, the less inclined we are to tackle it. So um, one thing that can help, now I am going to give you a, a, a tool and technique here. Let me see if I can find it. Can you recognize what this is? Yeah. It's a kitchen timer. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Okay. So have you have you <laughs> have you heard have you heard of the Pomodoro technique? Yeah, it's about like working for twenty five minutes or something. That's so. it. That's absolutely that's absolutely right. And it has its own website, it's had its own Twitter account. 
And talking about talking about me now, not about you, but if I have something enormous to do, like I have to, or feels enormous, like I have to write a proposal for a publisher, and it feels very daunting. Um, previously, I think what I would have done is felt I need to tackle all of this like straight away. Now, with the Pomodoro technique, of course, exactly as you said, you don't. You divide it into 25-minute slices, and each 25 minutes is one Pomodoro. And you set the timer to 25 minutes, and you work for 25 minutes, come what may, no looking at emails, no looking at your phone, no talking to people. You just work for 25 minutes, regardless of how good or bad you think it is. The timer rings, you stop, and you get up and you do something else. So, although you know, the timer is really is neither here nor there, but it's quite fun. And I think what it forces you to do is to break down a project into small parts. Instead of thinking, oh, it's all too overwhelming, it's all too big, I can never do it. So by breaking it down into units, Pomodoro units, it feels much more as if, as if you can tackle it. What do you, what do you, what do you feel about that? Yeah, I think it's an amazing tip and I think it will work for me, but I, I also uh, I think it will also help for other PhDs because most of the time we are interrupted by reading our emails or then a colleague is coming in. Of yes. course, now it's COVID, but like, eh? and you, you think like, oh, I also have to do this. So I think it's really a nice technique to use and to stay focused at least for 25 minutes. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I will yeah. use it when I come home after this uh, podcast uh, recording. Then, uh, yeah, I'll try the Pomodori technique. <laughs> okay. Well, there's one further tip here. The first pom Pomodoro unit could be deciding how many Pomodoros you need to complete the task. <laughs> so, so um, otherwise, just, just deciding how much time you need is in itself too overwhelming, too too frightening. So I would recommend just thinking how much time, realistically, how much time does this need? How could I slice it up into bits that would feel doable? And it, you know, most people can concentrate for 25 minutes. And you're quite right. We all distract ourselves with emails and phone calls. And if I'm, I'm talking to you from my flat, my cat is asleep at the moment, but if, if he wakes up, he's a very good distraction. He'll come and meow and jump on my lap. They go, oh, hello. It's a nerve. Then I've lost it. So, um, yeah, I, I recommend that. If it works for you, it, 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 I think it would work for a lot of, a lot of uh, other PhD students as well. Well, where should, where should we go from here? What would be useful for you? Um, yeah, maybe what I want to know is maybe some tips on... on um, the next question that I have is like, I think it's also a cultural thingy, so to say. So everyone is busy. And if you ask other people, they are, they only talk about their successes and they don't talk about like, oh, I got rejected by a journal. So that's also hard for me. And of course, I'm at the stage that I'm a bit more open about my insecurity. That's also why I'm, I guess I'm here today, but like, yeah, how can we open up this conversation? Because it's also quite difficult to stand up and say like, hey, I'm not doing fine. Mm. I feel insecure. So do you also have tips to kind of mm. 
Okay. Well, maybe it's not about standing up and saying, oh, I feel insecure, um, which is a bit of a overall generalization, isn't it? But saying I need specific help on A or B thing feels like much easier to do, isn't it? Um, as you say, the fact you're doing this podcast is in itself breaking that stereotype down, isn't it? Because you're you're saying what well, everybody knows that it's challenging, it's difficult. Mostly, you're working on your own, and it's very easy to to lose confidence. Can we think of a specific example where it's been difficult for you to ask for the help that you need? Yeah, maybe. A concrete example, and I think this is an issue for more PhDs. For instance, when we we run our analysis, then uh, you start kind of analyzing your data, and then there will be a point that you don't know whether you are in the right direction, and then that's the point that I think like, oh gosh, do I have to move on, and do I have to find the answer myself, or is it like, am I silly if I now go to my supervisors and ask for help or is it like a good moment to go to my supervisor so yeah okay so um what's your fear here what are you afraid of yeah that they think like oh my gosh she's not that smart as we thought she was <laughs> <laughs> okay well my, my instinct here is that doesn't it depend on how you ask um See, one way to, to do this is to say something like my, my instinct about where I am with this problem is A, B, C, D, whatever it is. Um, how does this strike you? So instead of saying, please give me the answer, you're working out what you think might be the answer, but you're uncertain whether it is actually the best answer. But it's that's very different from going to them saying, Oh, I'm helpless. Um, you've got to tell, you've got to give me the exact answer because I can see that that might look a bit needy, you know. Um, where, whereas instead, if you, you show you have already done the thinking and you're just saying, I'd just like to run this past you, what do you think of it? So in other words, you're, you're just asking them to confirm or deny or add something to your showing you have already done the thinking. Yeah, true. Yeah, I think that's a good solution. Um, and it, I think, yeah, it's also like the energy by asking these questions to, to your supervisor. I feel the difference. Like one is more like, oh, help. And the other one is like, yeah, being more confident with this is what I'm doing. This is who I am and this is what mm -hmm. I need. So I think, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Being being specific about the, the the help they need. But the other thing that strikes me is that isn't this a supervisor's role? What 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 else are they doing if they're not doing this for you with you? Yeah, but that that's a good point. And if I may may be honest, it's like I think that's also a cultural thing, or maybe it's something in my mind. But that's also like. In academia, you are also dependent on your supervisor. So in your PhD, you, yeah, it's kind of a development to become a researcher, right? So to develop yourself as an independent researcher. So then you have those kind of struggle with like, am I too dependent or is it is it the role of the supervisor? Or it, yeah, so 
Well, one, one, one thing to, to do with that, oh, it's probably too late with any supervisor you're working with now, but for the future and for other PhD students, I think it's to have a very candid conversation with that supervisor at the beginning about the role and what they expect from you and the kind of help that they want to give. Because I guess they'll probably vary a lot, won't they, in the, how they do it, their willingness to do it. Um, I work, I, it's not the same kind of role, but I do work as a supervisor, so it's not a PhD uh, role, but it, I work as a supervisor to other coaches. And really the whole role is about them bringing me difficulties, places where they're stuck, things that they, ethical dilemmas, they don't quite know what which way to go. I relish it, I love it. I really enjoy working with them on those things. So I'm wondering why I wouldn't one of your supervisors feel the same. That it's it's an enjoyable thing to work with people on their development. So I, I'm, I'm just reflecting on our conversation so far. And what I find is you've got a lot of strengths that you have admitted that you have. Um, you're in your, your last year, you are very, doing your PhD, you're most unlikely not to finish it. You have strengths that have emotional intelligence attached to them. You have had permission from your supervisors to ask you those questions. And now you're a psychologist, so this isn't going to surprise you what I'm going to ask you now. In what ways does it benefit you to hang on to this feeling that you're not good enough? What's, where's the payoff? What's the perverse gain from telling yourself you're not good enough? Mm. I find it a very difficult question. <laughs> no, it's not. It's an easy question. What does it give you? Yeah, I know, like in some way, it also is a satisfying feeling, maybe, to, yeah, to, yeah, I don't know. Like I have, so I don't know the answer. Um, <laughs> is that a trick question? <laughs> it's not a, no, it's not a, not a trick question at all. I think it's um, when we don't do something that we know common sense tells us that we should do, there's nearly always some kind of secondary benefit, some kind of payoff. So it's something like, well, if I don't try, I can't fail. Or, um, well, other, other people are cleverer, and so this prevents me from, from, if I tell myself that, then if I fail, well, it, it's not going to be a surprise. Um, and these, these are not benefits. It's worth hanging on to by and large. Or I can sometimes people say, well, if I, oh, if only this or that thing hadn't happened to me. So they're taking up that, that victim stance where it's all other people's fault, which so by not taking responsibility for ourselves, it, it allows, gives us an excuse. Yeah, I agree because yeah. I think it's also like, it also feels comfortable to me to say like, I'm not good enough because that's mm. something I'm telling myself, I think my, yeah, a long time. Yeah. So yeah. it's also in a comfortable, yeah, it's also comfortable for me to, because it yes. feels really uncomfortable to say like, hey, I'm an expert. I can do this. I can publish all my papers. So that, yeah. So in that okay. sense, yeah. Well, you just have said that. Can you say it again? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am an expert. Come on, say it, say it. 
I, I have to love now. I'm an expert and I can publish all my papers in very good journals. And I'm an expert in my field. And Dead. this really feels very uncomfortable. <laughs> okay, well, um, my suggestion here is you need to repeat that to yourself because it's obviously true. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and and, and get, repeat it until it feels comfortable not uncomfortable see it's a very good example i mean you, you three are all psychologists so you you know this even though it's uncomfortable the human brain prefers the status quo even when it's uncomfortable it's more comfortable to be miserable because it's familiar and um, admitting that we are successful in our fields and that that little voice isn't true is a change and the human brain resists change. This is one of the, to me, most interesting findings of um, neuropsychology, that we, we, that we like the status quo even when it's not good for us. So uh, this will be a, a, a transition for you, Daphne, that a, a transition from, I'm not good enough to, actually I'm an expert in my field, I am good enough, I'm gonna get published, I know my stuff. I'm good at all kinds of other things, getting on with other people, working collaboratively, being hands-on, taking action. I'm eager to learn all these things are excellent things to be. <laughs> Aww, yeah, thanks. It sounds like a, a good... Um like a good person like but it doesn't sound like me but i agree that <laughs> that we have to practice this and i think yeah yeah well i've just heard you say it so it does sound like you <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> should should we should we because I'm, I'm aware that time is going on here should we talk about your future after you after you finish well what what are your ideas at the moment I find it difficult to really think about a kind of role that I want to have afterwards. But like, I think my, my mission is to put academic knowledge into practice. Um, and I want to help uh, employees who are vulnerable, uh, who have low energy levels or high levels of workloads. And I want to stimulate them to make more use of their strengths and do what they find interesting. Yeah. Okay, I'm fascinated by that because um, what I haven't said is that various times in my own career I've flirted with academia. I've I've never I've never never done it, taken it up, um, due back from various jobs. And the reason really is more or less exactly what you just said that I'm interested in the practical application of ideas. And uh, I've forgotten who said it, but nothing so practical as a good theory. So I think your your ideas about moving, it doesn't sound to me like it's academia that will pull you. It sounds like you would probably prefer to work in a more hands-on role, maybe as, as an expert advisor to an HR team or something like that. I don't know. Tell me how you see it yourself. Yeah, so my ideal role, but this is may maybe more a dream. I think like I want to, a part of me want to, want to stay in academia because I think it's important that we have those kind of 
stakeholders or the, those kind of mm. motivators in, in academia who are really eager to put academic knowledge into practice and really make impact. So I want to have that role in academia that I really focus on making impacts and really, ma I think I really like collaboration. So I really want to collaborate with organizations and link them more to universities mm. and stimulate colleagues to make more impacts and yeah, to help them to be more hands-on maybe. <laughs> uh, but on the other hand, um, and this is my personal opinion, I, I also sometimes feel that academia is not totally ready for this. Yeah. Well, I think there are a lot of, a lot of people in academia who blend it with consulting work of various kinds. So they're half in, half out. And that can work quite well. And there's quite a see in the UK, a lot of demand for that. And there aren't that many people who can, who really have the interest in doing it and who can straddle those two things. So maybe that's uh, exploring how that could work. Um, maybe in your present university or some other university, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, good point. Um, mm. And then I, again, I feel now this kind of voice telling me like, but Daphne, are they looking for you? Like, are they looking for, for a person like you? So I think you're right. And if I feel comfortable and feel secure, then I hear what you're saying. And I think like, okay, that's, that makes sense. And at the same time, I feel insecure, like, oh, but are they? Mm. Well, you, you, you won't know. I, I think this. I, 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 when I hear people talk about having a, a lifetime career plan, I, I want to laugh, quite honestly, because I think it's it's not possible in the turbulent times we're living in. It all moves too quickly. But I think what you can do, is, which it sounds like you're already doing, is really be clear, what is it I offer to people? What problems can I promise to solve for an employer? whether it's a university, whether it's a big organization, where are my interests? What are my strengths? And it's not about being all purpose brilliant to everybody, anybody who comes along. You only need one employer and one person who really understands what it is you, you do, what you offer. So I'd say, you know, we haven't got time to go, go into that today, but I don't know whether you, you ever use the concept of brand, personal brand in your work. But thinking about yourself as, as a brand and so what strengths you have. So if you apply brand thinking to yourself, um, I'm just thinking of, you know, well-known, well successful brands, they never appeal to everybody. They're very clear who isn't their customer as well as who is. And they're, they're very clear about what they promise, what they can always deliver and what their strengths are, and they know what their weaknesses are as well. So they don't try to appeal to everybody. And I think the same is true of human beings. If you now, this is a good time to do it in your last year of your PhD, think about, well, who if I, if I were a brand, what would, what would my promise be? What, what problems would I solve? What needs can I meet? And then have that in your head when you're contacting people and talking to people about what you're looking for. And I think you'll find that way, the right right uh, offer will come to you. Yeah, I think it's it's an, it's a good starting point. Uh, to be honest, I work the other way around. So look like 
looking at um, what kind of positions are out there and where do, do I fit. But I think when I um, listen to your to what you told me, then I think this is amazing because then my yeah I'm the starting point and I will focus on my strengths and uh, yeah it sounds very yeah. silly but yeah. like you you told me like there's only one employee and then I thought like yes of course I don't have to fit all organizations I only have to find one then it's right yeah so yeah yeah see I think uh, you and I would say you know ninety percent of of my clients start by asking the wrong question which is who who will have me yeah, yeah, yeah. indeed Inst instead of thinking what do I really want and what are my strengths what can I offer what pro what problems can I always solve for an employer because that's what will get that's what will get work and very often what what my clients find is they're not bidding for advertised jobs they're, because they're talking to people uh, having these kinds of conversations with people very often a job is created for them or they're told about something is going to come up in this or that organization. Wonder if you should go and talk to A or B. It's all done informally. And that's a much more powerful way of finding a job that you really want. Rather than thinking, oh, who's going to have me? Am I good enough? Will I? Will there be this kind of job? How will I find it? You know, these, those are all the wrong questions. Yeah. Yeah, so thank you so much, Jenny, because it's it's really opening my eyes for for the future, but also for who I am and who I can be. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you. well, I, I really wish you luck. And I'm so interested to, uh, if, if you could drop me a line when you, maybe in a few months' time, when your PhD will be nearly finished and let me know how it's going. I would love to hear, I'd love to hear that. For sure. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay. 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 <laughs> well, uh, Jenny, uh, Daphne, uh, this has been great. Thank you so much for uh, uh, joining us today and uh, yeah, talking so openly about these uh, sometimes difficult uh, topics and uh, sharing these experience with our with all PhD students out there. Actually, thank you both for joining us today, and I I, I wish you a great afternoon. Thanks. Thank you, okay. guys. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the first episode of PhD Unplugged. Today we talked about insecurities. If you have an idea for a topic, please get in touch with us. You can reach us at contact at phdunplugged.com or find us on Twitter or Instagram or check out our website phdunplugged.com. Thanks again and until next time.